All right, you are now tuned in to the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 161. We're doing the Clips and Drew mock draft, but first we have an interview with the best person to possibly dissect the NBA draft, and that's Matt Babcock, NBA analyst, writer for basketballnews.com, former agent. This this man knows his stuff. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. Excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt like Mount Vesuvius. I'm about due to erupt. Use it or I'm losing it. They say I need to loosen up. Tight, I'm well taught. I must do the max like us. I do have something to say, so you got to give it up. Give it up. You never heard what up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you're at. It is the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 161. We have a special one for you today. We're going over the draft, and who better to have than draft expert, Matt Babcock, writer for uh, basketballnews.com, former agent and an expert in this field. Matt, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. We are so lucky to have you because I have so many questions about this draft, and you know, this is kind of unprecedented this year. And I apologize. I know you're doing a lot of interviews. So if I'm asking questions that you've already been getting all week, I apologize. But our listeners kind of got to know, um, you know, with this, you know, with the COVID season and no combine and the virtual workouts, you know, from an agent's point of view, how difficult is this process that we're going through right now? Oh, from an agent's perspective, this has been somewhat, somewhat of a nightmare. I mean, you know, the, the pre-draft process is usually two months. Uh, when it's all said and done, this is going to be a seven-month pre-draft process. And so it's a deal where, you know, these agents are having to spend a lot of money on, on housing for their clients, training. It all adds up quite a bit. And in most years, the, the two months, uh, you know, at times gets to be, you know, pretty big, uh, pretty steep, you know, ticket at the end of the day. And uh, you can m- multiply that by, you know, three times or more. Uh, these guys are bleeding money and you know and with this process there's been a whole lot for them to do I mean usually you're scheduling workouts and kind of managing your guys schedule as far as traveling around the United States uh, everybody's sort of locked locked down and just limited to doing zoom calls until recently you know doing these remote combines uh, just been it's been a weird year for everybody especially for agents how do you you know being a, a scout like, how do you look at workouts now? Are you, are you just looking at tapes? A lot of these guys aren't doing the workouts, the virtual workouts. How do you, how do you go about that? Uh, well, myself personally, I mean, we, we actually started traveling a little bit the last month. And so we've, uh, I think we made four or five trips to see some guys and, um, you know, r- really just, uh, you know, looking to gather some new information. I mean, as far as on court stuff, uh, I mean, by the time the pandemic hit and, you know, the postseason was canceled, uh, you know, we, we'd kind of covered all our bases. We'd seen everybody, you know, most guys multiple times already. And, uh, you know, missing out on conference tournaments was a little bit of a blow. Because, I mean, that's, you know, I was all set. I had my bags packed. I was going to go to New York City for the Big East tournament. Uh, and then I was going to do two days at the, at the Big Ten tournament. And, you know, I'd seen everybody, but it was, you know, it's a good opportunity to see so many guys all at once. I mean, I, you know, four games a day kind of thing. And uh, missing that was uh, – it was definitely not good and you know probably the biggest thing was uh, missing April of all the high school events for next year's draft I mean I was set to go uh, Jordan brand classic the hoop summit McDonald's all-american game the Allen Iverson classic and that's where I'd see all the one and done guys for next year so as far as for this year's draft uh, I feel you know perfectly confident uh, I'm just gonna have to you know play catch up a little bit on, on next year's draft a little you know a little bit you know going into this uh, kind of unknown situation for for college hoops in particular 
Uh, do you have any insight into what this season coming up for college is going to look like? Is it going to be similar to the way that uh, the, you know, the football has rolled out where they're kind of only playing within conference or is it going to be a little different? You know, I, I wish I knew, <laughs> but it's one, it's one of these deals where, uh, I mean, from my, my perspective, it seems like it's a total zoo. You know, I mean, every day, seem, you know, the narrative changes a little bit, um, you know, and we're all kind of in a wait and see mode. And you know, I've been talking to a number of NBA personnel scouts. Uh, we're all just kind of waiting to see, you know, what we're going to have access to, how it's actually going to unfold. I actually just got an email from, uh, uh, I believe it's the, 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 the tournament that's supposed to happen in the Bahamas. They moved it to Sioux Falls. Um, and everything's pretty uncertain, you know, and so I just, I don't know. I'm taking take it day by day. You know, I, for, for whatever reason, the narrative for this draft is that it's a, it's a quote weak draft. And I really don't feel that way. I think there's a lot of talent in this draft just because there isn't a LeBron or a Blake or, you know, a Zion. I think there's a lot of talent in this draft and it, it, it could be, you know, top heavy a bit. And then, you know, kind of roll the dice when you get later in the first round and the second round. But who, first of all, has really stood out to you? Um, well, I mean, to address your initial point, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think this is a downdraft. I mean, there definitely isn't a clear-cut star. I think there's a handful of guys that have the potential of being stars, but there's, you know, we'll, we'll see if it actually clicks or not. But I, I've got six guys at the top that are my first tier, and I think it's pretty close. Um, and then as far as, uh, you know, the rest of the draft, I think there's a lot of parity. I think there's a lot of potential, you know, really good players, like role player types, uh, which are valuable. I mean, you know, every pick doesn't have to be a star in order for it to be a valuable selection for a team. Um, you know, some guys that stand out, I mean, I guess, you know, that have sort of moved up recently just with new information that we've gathered. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is Malachi Flynn uh, from San Diego State. And, that was uh, you your know, guy, a, though. That was your guy. You were talking about him for a, for a while now. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a seven-month pre-draft process. But you know, he's you know, he's one of those kids. The more I get to know, you know, know him and know about him, uh, the, the more I have confidence that the kid's going to succeed. I mean, he's a six-one, hundred eighty-five-pound uh, point guard, so he's on the smaller side. Uh, this kid's just tough as nails. He's a student of the game. He just has you know has everything you want as far as growth mindset and a competitor, a leader. Um, he's a guy, regardless of where he's drafted. Uh, somebody's going to be really happy with him. And I think he's going to be a starter in the NBA sooner than later. You said you had a top tier. So who's the top tier six that you have? Uh, so it would be uh, Anthony Edwards, uh, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Obi Toppin, uh, Denny Avdia, and then Anyeka Kungwu. And I think it's all pretty close. Denny's interesting to me, and I want to ask you about him because he kind of just came on the scene the past year. He's young, his pops played – pro his mom played pro I think and then she was track and field as well but he's just basically burst onto the scene what's so enticing about him well I mean he's come on the scene maybe from your perspective but he, I mean he's been he's been playing at a pretty high level for a while in Israel and um you know we, we've got for, for Babcock Coops we've got Jason Felipe who's a 20-year NBA veteran scout that's based in Bologna Italy uh he's been talking to me about Denny for years really and, uh, and uh you know and it's interesting background the the his dad is Serbian his mom is Israeli uh, and so, I mean, he, he's played in Israel for a long time, plays with the national team, um, I, you know, and he's, he's doing a good job at a young age. I mean, he's playing in the Euro League, which is the best league outside of the NBA in, in the entire world, and he's contributing to Maccabi Tel Aviv. And, you know, 19-year-old kid, he's 6'9". Uh, his body's really filling out. He's a good athlete, uh, you know, sort of like a point-forward type guy. I mean, he's got a little bit um, – you know, he's probably more of a poor man's version of this, but he's got a little Ben Simmons in him, you know, just his versatility and playmaking abilities, great in transition. And he plays hard. Um, he, he needs to improve his outside shooting a little bit. You know, he's not, 
he's not quite in the same category as Ben Simmons as, as far as lack of shooting, but it's definitely sort of his swing skill right now of, you know, if he's able to kind of turn himself into a knockdown guy, uh, that, that would really elevate his upside quite a bit. Do you uh, – I, I like the kid from France too, the Killian uh, Hayes. Yep. It, it's kind of a guard-heavy draft, though. There's a lot of good guards in this draft. Uh, what's so hot about him? Yeah, Killian, you know, he's got an interesting background too. So his dad's from Florida uh, and his mom's French. And, you know, he's, he's kind of grown up last year in France. And uh, he was playing on this team that had several, you know, kind of combo guards that were all kind of splitting time playing point guard. And I liked him okay. And, he, you know, he was sort of one of the hot names for the, the following year. His agent did a good job. He got him out of France and put him on a team in Germany where he was allowed to be the primary point guard and run the show. And he really thrived. He's got, he's got great size. He's about 6'5", you know, solid, solid build. Uh, lefty and he's really um, really developed as far as his game you know creating off the dribble uh, his outside shooting's coming around and, and he's a terrific playmaker and so uh, you know, in, in a guard heavy draft I mean he's one of the one of the top guys you know I think uh, we, we've seen over and over in the last couple seasons how important shooting is to every team in the NBA uh, in this draft I, I haven't really been able to kind of nail down who I think is the best overall shooter I was wondering if you had some insight or a couple names that you could throw out as to like who could really come in and contribute, whether that be a role or a star, or whatever. But as a as a knockdown shooter in this draft, yeah, that's an easy answer for me. Uh, Aaron Neesmith from Vanderbilt. This, he's probably going to be you know go somewhere in the late lottery, uh, and, and he is just a terrific shooter, and he's a versatile shooter. Uh, his coach Jerry Stackhouse uh, really did a good job this year of running him NBA type sets, running him off screens, and, and the kid's not only just a, a good shooter, he's a versatile shooter. I mean, puts it off you know shoot off the move, catch and shoot. He's hitting tough shots. Um, I think, you know, his ability to hit a wide variety of outside shots is certainly going to translate. It's just a matter of if he's able to add to his game and, and bring more than just that. But, yeah, shoot, shooting is, is definitely not a problem with him. Is the consensus right now that Anthony Edwards would probably go number one? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one. Um, you know, Minnesota's one of those teams before the lottery order came out. I, I didn't want them to win the lottery, so I didn't have to make a decision publicly of who they're going to take. Because <laughs> uh, Anthony Edwards really doesn't fit their team perfectly. They, they had just traded for uh, Malik Beasley, uh, who I think is really good in, in, in under the radar. Uh, I mean, in 14 games for them, he averaged over 20 points a game. And so, you know, he's a guy, I think he's 24, 25 years old. Um, and he's going to be a restricted free agent. You take Anthony Edwards, who's kind of similar to Beasley, can they coexist? Are you, are you shooting yourself in the foot? Uh, but Anthony Edwards is, you know, the, the highest upside guy in the draft. And so Gerson Rosa has got an interesting decision of like, you know, do I take a guy that fits our team better? And as far as our team development is, you know, a guy like Obi Toppin or Denny Abdia, or just go with the most talent, Anthony Edwards. And I go back and forth. I mean, right now we have Edwards uh, on our mock draft. Number one, I, I'm thinking about going back to Obi Toppin. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's a tough decision. I, I know Minnesota's trying to move back. Uh, you know, maybe get an additional asset and, you know, get a guy that fits their team better. Whether they'll be able to do that or not, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's a tricky one. Would you be surprised if Obi went one? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think Obi's capable of stepping in. And, you know, I think he could be an easy rookie of the year candidate front runner right off the bat. I mean, he's a little bit older. Uh, I think his offensive game translates perfectly. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's one of those deals where, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if anybody won number one of that first six guys because it's so close, you know. And so uh, Edwards does, you know, have the most upside, probably the most likelihood of being a star. But there's some risk there too. I mean, he's not an absolute sure thing. I mean, you know, he's pretty immature as far as a player. His shot selection's garbage. Doesn't play that hard. You know, and I think he'll be able to address those things on some level or another. But like, 
you know, there's, there's kind of big what ifs. It's funny you say his shot selection's garbage because one of the stats that I brought up was he took 142 pull-ups in 32 games. So he was just, right, which is just – which is wild. I just think that's so many. So his shot selection is something that they definitely need to work on. But you can work on that. You know, that's something you can work on. You know, Drew and I, this is – we're going into our, our fourth season with, the, with our show. Um, and we're so stoked that we're on basketballnews.com along with you. Um, but one guy that's – we started talking about four years ago was LaMelo ball. And now we're at this point. We watched him, you know, since his sophomore year grow into this player. And now we're at this point where he's going to be in the NBA. I just, I, I love his size and shooting. I love the, the, the fact that he went overseas to play with pros. I think he, it helped him out a lot physically, but I, I'm not sure about his personality or taking him on my team at the third pick. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if LaMelo goes, top three or, or bottom lottery, like 10 to 14? Would you, what do you think about LaMelo and, and his future moving forward? Yeah. I mean, obviously he's got, he's got so much hype surrounded by him. I mean, he's definitely like a fan favorite already. Everybody, you know, he's a household name, uh, right, right or wrong. Uh, so, I mean, the, the attention's already there uh, and, and he is a good player. I mean, he's really grown. I mean, he's, he's six foot seven uh, and he's got, he's got clear cut talent. You know I mean? He's got the ball and a string. He's really crafty. Uh, He's got, you know, star type type things to his game. Um, you know, I have concerns with his personality. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's well documented that he's, you know, a lot of people think he's got some entitlement. Um, you know, in, in recent interviews, some of the media have said he's not very likable. You know, those kind of things. That, th- those are definitely concerns. Um, and there's some concerns on the court, too. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't apply himself on the defensive end. Uh, I think he's got physical limitations. That, you know, not, not a great body. You know, not, pretty physically weak. Uh, not overly athletic. I mean, he's more of a guy that uses his size, his coordination, his skill level, rather than you know blow by speed or athleticism. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think he's an absolute sure thing to be a star. He's got some potential, uh, but you got to kind of weigh it out. I mean, it, you know, is he? You think he's going to be a problem personality-wise? Maybe, uh, but I, I think he's going to go towards the top of the draft. I, you know, he's clear-cut in that top six for me. Um, I'd be surprised if anybody you know kind of broke into that group. Do you think it was a good move for him going overseas? Because I, I like the move. I like the, the opportunity for the young guys to go overseas and play professionally, get paid, play against grown men. What's your take on that? Early on, I mean, going to Lithuania and the big baller stuff and that league and all that, I, I think the kid needed some, some more structure and discipline and, and you know, kind of more accountability uh, put into his day-to-day. Uh, Australia, I thought that was a good move. I mean, he's got to really play with grown men. Uh, you're getting some real coaching. I, I wish they would, would have played throughout the whole season or he, he would have played throughout the whole season. Uh, you know, from a development standpoint, though, I think it's sort of an apples and oranges deal. I think there's pros and cons to, to both, you know, the, the traditional route of going to college and all that or, or going pro or going to G League. Um, you know, and he's definitely, he's definitely developed. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, if it was a good move or not. I, I think he's probably at a similar point uh, that he would be if he had gone to college. I think someone who was also kind of in that similar position and someone whose stock kind of fell a little bit after that move was RJ, RJ Hampton. A lot of the noise was coming out after he was coming out of high school was like, this guy could be, you know, number one, number two kind of caliber. Uh, what do you think happened for him, uh, you know, during that, that season in Australia? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, with RJ, I don't think it was necessarily a deal where he went there and it didn't go well and hurt him. I think it's just he just got more exposure. And he was going to get more exposure one way or another. And uh, he's an ultimate upside guy. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a, a few guys in this year's draft um, that, that aren't close to being finished products, but they, they tease you. And, and RJ is that. I mean, his athleticism, his speed, uh, I mean, is so intriguing. I mean, if it, if it clicks, the kid could be a star. Um, but he's got a lot, a lot of work to do. I mean, right now, 
He's a guy that you want to project being a lead guard, a point guard. Um, I, I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he's got a, you know going to feel for the game. Um, he's got you know all all the tools you want. He's just, he's got to put it together. He's got to get stronger too. And um, you know shooting mechanics. I, I think they're always there. He's been working with Mike Miller, uh, and, and you know in some of these clips of his workouts, looks like the shooting's come around. Uh, for me, there's a big difference between being a workout shooter and being a game shooter. He's got to prove that he can hit shots and be productive. And that, you know so. He is, he is somewhat of a risk. Uh, so, I, you know, again, I, I don't think that Australia was necessarily the issue with him. Like, it, you know, it wasn't like a bad decision. I, I just think he's, uh, he's a little bit of a project. I'm really interested in the kid from SC, Okomu. Physically, he looks like he's ready to go. I love his intensity. Uh, he's strong. He's going to be great at that position, which is a power forward, right? That's what he'll be playing in the NBA. Uh, what's his upside? Oh, I, I love the big O. And uh, actually, one of my guys at Babcock Coops, Derek Murray, did a, a video breakdown of him yesterday. Um, and we love him. The, the quote that I gave in that article was, uh, you know, he's the guy that everybody compares him to is Bam Adebayo. They're big brute guys. They're 6'9", 250. Um, and they're similar athletes. I mean, for being big guys, they're, they're really explosive and bouncy. Uh, from a skill set standpoint, he actually reminds me more of Al Jefferson. He's so polished around the rim. His footwork, his touch with both hands. So he's kind of a hybrid between the two, which – which is amazing, especially for the way the game's being played right now, you know, because I think he's actually going to be more of an undersized five than a power forward. Uh, whereas if this were 20 years ago, he'd, he'd be straight power forward, you know, that's, that's just sort of how the game's evolved. Uh, but his upside, I mean, I, I think he's got a chance of being just as effective as Bam, even though I think their style of play is slightly different. How's his perimeter shooting, uh, by the way? I, I know I, I saw him a lot. I know I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure he was teammates with LaMelo and in high school. Hope, yeah. yeah. Chino. Okay, cool. Um, I, when I saw him, I thought he was all right from like mid range kind of dead center, but you can, you know, a little bit more than I do on that. Can you talk a little bit about his shooting? Yeah. You know, his mechanics are, are kind of screwed. I mean, he has big hands, he's long arms and, and he, he's, he's a big guy. So it's just, it's a little funky mechanics. Uh, but I, I think he's going to be capable of hitting open shots, at least in the mid range. It's similar to Bam out of bio from that standpoint. I mean, Bam's not a knockdown shooter, uh, but it's not completely broken either. I mean, I, if I remember correctly, he's a, he's a pretty good free throw shooter. I, I want to say he shot like 77% or something like that. And so um, I, I don't see it being like a, a total glaring weakness. And the biggest thing about it is I, I don't even know if he necessarily needs that as part of his game. I think he's going to be undersized five, um, you know, rim protector, versatile defender, um, and finish around the rim. I, you know, it's not absolutely necessary for him to be a guy that can stretch the floor because you kind of want him being a roaming big anyway. And, and you have him going to the Hawks at six, and that would be a really good fit for him there. They could use him down there, correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing uh, everybody brings up is they just traded for Clint Capella. Uh, you know, where would, you know, the Big O fit there? Uh, the way I see it at six, who are you going to take over the Big O? I just, I, I think it would be reckless if you looked at somebody like Halliburton or Okoro, even though I like those players. They're not the same level as a Kungwu. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I am a, a big fan of, of teams looking at how a guy fits and, and, you know, sort of like a proper team, you know, building. Big O's too good to pass up at six. And so that's just kind of how I see it. And they do need some defensive presence and, you know, a long-term piece at the five. I think he would be a great compliment to John Collins at the four, who's not very good defensively. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, if I'm the Hawks, I'm going with the Big O if he's there. Is that fair to call him the Big O, though, Matt? That's putting a lot on him right there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I love that kid. I'll, I'll give it to him. <laughs> you know, you in, our, in some of the conversations we've had, uh, you've been talking about how, you know, the big man is not dead. A lot of people think that it's going positionless now. And, you know, you're a big advocate of having a big man in there. And James Wiseman's obviously the best big man there, um, or I think so. And 
most likely will go number two to Golden State unless they trade. But that would be a really great fit for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, I've had uh, I've had Wiseman in the top one, two, or three all year, and uh, you know, I mean, especially you get all these uh, independent Twitter scouts and media members and all that. I've really gone extreme that you know the big man's dead, and you know they want a bunch of PJ Tuckers running around at the five, and you know, I, I you know the way I've always kind of said it is okay, the, the big man's role is changing. It's not dead, though. And so with Wiseman and a Kung Wu, where they, they, ha- they hold so much value is they do a lot of the things that you want from traditional big mans as far as you know, physical presence, rim protection, finishing at the rim. Uh, but they can move their feet. They're not liabilities on the defensive end. I mean, you're not, you're not going to be limited to doing like a really conservative drop coverage on defense. I mean, Wiseman's 7'1", 7'6", wingspan, and that kid can move. And so – I think you're kind of getting the best of, of both worlds as far as like an old school blue collar, you know, physical presence, but also a guy that gives you flexibility on, you know, defensive schemes and running the floor and uh, come with the same way. I mean, you know, Bam Adebayo has had so much success in Miami. And a big reason is he's a big guy that does those things, but he also moves well. He's not, he's not a liability by any means. And so, you know, the way we evaluate big guys, it's definitely changed. I mean, you know, a, a slow footed, big bodied guy, his value has, has diminished quite a bit. I mean, one name this year that comes to mind is, uh, Azabuki from Kansas, who I absolutely love, and the kid has gotten so much better. Uh, but he definitely fits the mold of being a guy that would have worked better 20 years ago. He's probably going to be more of like a second round pick now because of those reasons. Whereas you know before he might have been like a lottery pick, and so that's just where there's a difference with the game now. But uh, in my opinion, the big man is not is not dead. Well, I mean, we just saw the Lakers and the Nuggets, you know, both feature their bigs. Uh, and so if you're talking about Golden State at the number two position, if they're looking down the road, they have to say, well, who, who can guard these types of guys? And I think Wiseman can, can definitely do a, a solid job on those. Uh, and if he doesn't start necessarily or, or doesn't finish, you know, necessarily, they can still finish with their small ball. But, you know, matchups dictate that you have to have some sort of big out there that can handle that as much as Draymond Green thinks that he can guard everybody you know there's there's serious size differences that that come into play there so I think I honestly think Charlotte you know would be the perfect destination for him I know that Golden State is a great move and I think I you know something we haven't touched on is is this offseason and and you know perhaps the lack of motivation for certain teams to go out and try and spend money in free agency I think the draft is going to be heavily valued even though it may be on the weaker end of some of the drafts we've had in recent years. I think there's going to be a lot of moves. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that come out looking to trade or get up or, or trade back or for whatever reason, pick their guy that they think they need. I think Charlotte is going to try and make a move for that number one pick to take Wiseman. Am I, am I completely off base there? No, I think that makes a ton of sense. And uh, what's, what's interesting to think about is the potential domino effect if that there was a flip-flop there because now all of a sudden, okay, if you're Golden State – Anthony Edwards isn't a great fit in Golden State either, in my opinion. And so now, okay, do they take Abdiya, do they take Toppin? And it's a similar conversation that we just had about Minnesota with number one. Now does Golden State move back and, and, and switch things up? And, you know, if I'm Edwards and, and his, uh, his crew, I'd be a little worried about those first few picks because, I mean, it's, it's possible that guy could slip a, you know, a few, uh, even though he's the top talent in the draft. I mean, that's how crazy this top, top part of the draft is. And, and guys in my shoes, it's – it's impossible to project this thing because it's just I think there are a lot of moving parts behind the scenes as far as what could happen and you know, who can move around and, and whatnot. I think the Knicks are going to make a play. Like they've already said they're, they're willing to take on contracts. They want to trade up. They, uh, you know, they have 65 mil that they could spend too. Uh, do you see that? I mean, they royally mess up all the time, but they actually have a good, you know, a decent front office right now. And they, I think they're going to make a play. 
Because I think Wiseman's one of – actually, they don't need another big man. They have 11 big men on that team. Um, <laughs> but do you see them possibly trying to make a move? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, I actually think Anthony Edwards would be perfect there. I mean, you can play RJ as a three, Edwards as the two. Uh, I mean, that gives you two guys that that have a lot of upside and, you know, potential, you know, one-two punch. And I mean, if Edwards is a big click, so, I mean, this kid could be a primetime score. I mean, I was, in, I was at the Maui Invitational in November, and it was really funny. We, uh, you know, the first, the first game, I forget who they played against, but he struggled. I mean, it was really bad. And then he started the second game against Michigan State, the same thing, and the halftime, we're all, you know, every, every scout, you know, every, every team had a scout there, a personnel member there. We're all talking at halftime, like, man, he's slipping you know, right in front of our eyes. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what do I do with my mock draft? Like, I don't want this guy, you know, do a <laughs> action. But I was, I was starting to sweat a little bit. That second half, he, he put on a show, scored 33 points in one half. It was probably the best performance I'd ever seen by a college player ever. Wow. And, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't do that consistently throughout the year, obviously. It was a taste of, you know, what could come with this kid and so um yeah if the knicks can get, get edwards i think that would be interesting and you'll know ball too i mean he'd be another guy um that would be interesting there in new york i mean i think he would thrive with with the pressure and the attention that you know the one thing with lamello he's got all these negatives but uh you know the kid's confidence is not lacking and so i you know sometimes you put him in a brighter you know brighter spotlight he might shine even more you know and so edwards lamello ball i could see the knicks making a play for those guys I, I don't know. LeVar in, in New York would just be a problem, man. That would just be a big problem. Uh, you know, it's crazy when we talked earlier, you know, the tournament, March Madness, like it can actually make players too. Like if you show up big during March Madness, your stock goes so high. One guy that's coming to my mind is like DiVincenzo, right? He had a, a really great March Madness and his stock rose. So losing that opportunity for some of these guys, um, you know, it's kind of a bummer to not have those tournaments and, and for, for players to actually be on the brightest stage and show that they can compete at this level and shine when the, when the lights are brightest. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, I mean, the, the guys that come to mind this year for me is, uh, you know, and it sounds funny to say this because he was national college player of the year, but Obi Toppin, if he would have had that, that big spotlight, I think his fame going into the draft would be much, much higher. And he might be, you know, easily more easily accepted as a possible number one pick by the public. Whereas, you know, I, right now I think everybody's, you know, I put him at the number one right after the lottery order was set. And uh, I got a lot of flack from it. I'm like, you guys watch this guy play? This guy's unbelievable, you know. And uh, the other guy that comes to mind is the guy I mentioned before, Malachi Flynn. I mean, San Diego State had an unbelievable year this year. And, uh, you know, I think he, it was kind of a deal where he was almost hidden in plain sight a little bit just because they're in a slightly smaller conference and smaller, smaller school. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if they would have gone and made a run to the Sweet 16 or Elite A or whatnot – everybody would know Malachi Flynn a little bit more than they do right now. And um, the other part of it too, with this, uh, you know, sort of unorthodox uh, pre-draft process is with DiVincenzo, you had the great run with Villanova and the great championship game. He went to the combine and played. I mean, I was sitting right there. I mean, he kicked butt and like, that's where he really solidified himself as a first round pick. It was him and, uh, and Kevin Herter. Both those guys were on the fence whether they stay in the draft or not. And they did really well at the combine. And so I think guys like that miss, miss having the formal combine too. So it's not just, uh, you know, missing on the big dance. It's, it's the, you know, the, the combine with live play as well. Do, do NBA execs reach out to you and try to get your opinion on some of these guys? Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> well, I don't know how it works. I'm not yeah, I've never no, been an yeah. agent or, or a scout. I'm an eye guy. I'm an eye test guy. Um, what is like the main traits when you're looking at a player? Like what, do you have like a checklist? 
of things that they you got to check the box for for certain players that you're looking at what are the top things that you're looking for besides wow this guy could play basketball uh i think that the biggest things that we look at after the season is doing our homework on on, on background and personality um you know just all the intel work you know getting a grip of you know is this guy a worker does he love the game uh, is he accountable is he a troublemaker uh, all those things, I, I think, are, are what really separate myself and, and our crew of Bad Proud Coops just from, you know, uh, you know, independent scouts that watch a lot of film because uh, it, it's got to be a balance. You know, I mean, these teams are investing millions of dollars into these guys. Uh, of course, you need, you need talent. You know, these players need talent. Without talent, it, it's a moot point. You, you, it's not even worth talking about, right? But uh, there's a lot of guys with talent, so they need to check off all the other boxes. And so that's one reason I keep bringing up Malachi Flynn. He checks all the boxes outside the scouting report and other, you know, Isaiah Stewart from Washington. He's another guy that, you know, all the off court stuff, his mental makeup, his approach to the game and life. Uh, that's what gives me the confidence that, you know, guys like that are going to succeed. And so that's sort of, uh, that's sort of like the secret sauce that we're looking for with, with when we're evaluating guys. You know, I, I, we spend quite a bit of time on the top half of this draft. I do think that there's quite a few gems, like like uh, Clip said earlier. You know, in the in the later first round and the second round, um, a guy that I actually got to watch in person uh, was Cassius Stanley when he was still at Harvard Westlake. Um, I think it was his freshman or sophomore year, and he he just jumped out. Like when I saw him, I don't know, how, 15 years old. I'm like, that kid's going to be in the NBA. It's just like you know, it's just a matter of time. Uh, but his draft stock, and I think similarly. Uh, Cole Anthony, both kind of took a hit this year and both were performing on huge stages for Duke and North Carolina, respectively. Um, can you talk a little bit about those guys and, and why they might have, you know, kind of backed themselves into the, the background or, the, you know, the back end of the first round? Yeah, sure. So with Cassius specifically, and you're absolutely right, he was at Harvard West like his freshman, sophomore year, then transferred to Sierra Canyon. Um, you know, his role in high school was very different than his role at Duke. I mean, he was a combo guard, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff on the ball, creating, creating some shot. Um, he gets to the Duke. Uh, Coach K really utilized him for his athleticism, which, which he should have. I mean, he's, he's the, you know, the best leaper in the draft. Um, and he kind of put him more in, in like a wing, uh, you know, run the floor type, type role where he's, you know, his shots were pretty much coming in transition or wide open catch and shoot threes. And he did really well with it. But I think, you know, one thing that he's getting criticized on is uh, all the th stuff he did in high school as far as on the ball, can he create his own shot, which I believe he can. Uh, but that's, I think his role at Duke has kind of held him back stock-wise. Uh, but I'm, I've been higher on him than, uh, than most of the media just because I really value him. He's a sharp kid. I've gotten to know him a little bit. Uh, his dad was a, is a sports agent. He's been a sports agent for a long time. And, you know, I've, I've kept up with them pretty good. And, um, you know, I believe the kid's going to be a pro's pro. Kind of what I'm talking about as far as checking a lot of these boxes. Really smart kid, you know, worker. Uh, I think he's just going to, you know, he's going to do what he needs to do to, to succeed. Um, you know, and, and even in, in one way I look at it too, is like he played this limited role at Duke, the way he played there translates to the NBA. I mean, if he's taken even say like on the high side of his market value in the mid first round, you want a guy that could hit open shots and, you know, and be a super athlete. And so he doesn't need to have a ton to his game to hold value in my book. Uh, so I, I am certainly higher on him. Uh, Cole Anthony is a completely different, different story. You know, one of the top play, rated high school players in the country uh, in his class, um, the, the homework, the background, the intel has all hurt him a little bit. I mean, a lot of stuff comes up of like, you know, he's too much of an alpha dog, uh, you know, self-serving somewhat. I mean, I don't want to kill the kid too much, but it, it's been a lot of negative intel within that. I think that's the main reason that his stock is sort of held back. And, and then on the floor, too, I mean, he's, his shot selection is pretty suspect. 
Uh, I'm not sure he's a great leader, that all that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I think both of them will probably be first round picks, uh, but you have totally different evaluations. Uh, I do have to ask because you are a wildcat, Bear Down, Arizona. There's three guys that are on this team that are probably going to get drafted at some point. You know, we don't know where, but I need your opinion on them. I, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping to see all three in, in NBA uniforms next year: Zeke Naji, uh, Josh Green, Nico Mannion. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about where you think they might fall? And uh, you know, I know Nico especially was way up there at the beginning of the season. Isn't so much now. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about them? Yeah, of course. Yeah, first of all, bear down, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wildcat family, we got to stay strong here. But, uh, you know, I obviously know all three kids real well. I mean, I spent time with Zeke a few weeks ago in Vegas. Um, you know, and, and he's one that falls in that category I'm talking about with Stewart and Flynn. I mean, this kid's like the ultimate worker, you know, really sharp kid. I mean, lives this regimented you know, lifestyle. You know, he's vegan. He's added, uh, he's added like 18 pounds of muscle since the season. I mean, he's just totally jacked, even on a vegan diet, which I think is, is, is you know, really impressive. Um, and uh, that, that kid's just going to succeed. I, I think he's going to be the first guy drafted of the three, and I think he should be. Uh, I mean, he measured at 6'10", uh, without shoes, 248, 7'2", wingspan. You know, he's a really good athlete, uh, and he shoots the ball a lot better than people realize. It. You know, Sean Miller is a pretty old-school uh, type coach. Um, you know, likes playing traditional big men around the post and, and whatnot. And, and Zeke, uh, you know, took, took the role and, and thrived with it and, and did what the team needed. Uh, but I do think, you know, going to the next level – He's going to be able to add that element to his game of being able to stretch the floor, which is just so viable in, in the NBA. And so I think he could play the four or five. So him having you know positional versatility uh, and just being just a you know reliable kid that that's going to uh, going to work hard. Uh, I think he's probably going to be a mid first round pick when it's all said and done. Uh, Josh Green, you know, terrific athlete, really good defender. Uh, I personally question you know how how good he's going to be on offense. Um, I, I don't I don't know if he's I don't know if he's got the mental makeup of being a shooter. You know, he, and I, I know he's been working on it a lot. Uh, he was out in Vegas working out too. And, uh, you know, he, he's doing what he needs to do is working on his game. Sometimes you got it, sometimes you don't. And I, I, I don't trust his outside shooting. And that's going to be a big part of his success. If he can you know, legitimately be a three and D type guy, uh, he might be limited just being more of a, a D with, with no three. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that would obviously hold back his value a little bit. So I have him, I have him rated a little bit lower than a lot of people do. My bet would be somebody takes him in the first round because, you know, a lot of people do really like him and like him more than I do. Um, and then Nico, Nico's the tough one. I mean, especially being, being a you know, fellow Wildcat, you know, I, we, we, uh, we had a big crew. I went out to the Hoop Summit last year and he and Clay Anthony battled it out in practice all week. And I thought Nico really, really gave it to him and in the game. And we walked out of that camp and uh, I think we had him top 10 and he's just been slowly but surely like moving back and, you know, seems like a good kid. I just, there seems to be some concerns. I, you know, I don't know, I don't know if he's passionate about the game. You know, I, from my understanding, he's not, you know, doesn't really get after in the weight room, you know, not, not a gym rat like you, you'd think he'd be. Uh, and then, you know, on court, I mean, he had a pretty up and down year. I mean, he'll, he'll show you flashes of his playmaking, his pat, natural passing ability, which is, you know, certainly intriguing. Defensively, he's horrible. You know, he doesn't have the size or foot speed, even though he's explosive at the rim. I mean, he's had a, he had a few dunks this year that were really impressive. Outside of that, though, I don't think he's an overall great athlete, uh, which might get exposed even more at the next level. And then shooting, I mean, he's all over the place. And so he's just you – know, we've got him, I think, in the late 30s now, which, I mean, going from being a top 10 pick to, you know, more of a solid second is, is, uh, is not good. And 
his dad and my dad are friends. I'm sure, I'm sure Pace Manny is not real happy if he's seen my grandkids. And so it's so sorry, Pace and sorry, Wildcat Nation. I just got to do what I got to do, man. <laughs> I hear you. Do you think there's any chance that he might, you know, just take this year and see where he goes and come back? Or did he already do like sign, sign an agent and do all the things that, that like that would lock him out of? of yeah, no, he, he's, 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 he's pro. He's okay. pro now. So okay. He's all out. Um, yeah, and no, I think he, he's – I mean, he'll, he'll play in the league. You know, I, I mean, I think he needs to correct some of these issues, and I hope he does. I mean, I'm rooting for him. It's one of these deals where, uh, you know, sometimes it, it comes off that I'm, I'm being overly critical of these guys. Like, I'm not rooting against anybody. I'm just trying to do my job with integrity. Uh, but, I mean, like Cole Anthony, I'm lower on Tyrese Maxey, Nico now. I, I hope all these kids prove me wrong and that they end up doing better than, than you know, I'm expecting them to. Um, again, it's just I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to do my job with some integrity. So – you know, we got to talk a little NBA with you. You come from a long line of, of NBA royalty, to say. The Babcock name holds a lot of weight in the NBA. Your pops, your uncles, your cousins, everybody's worked front office. Um, you were an agent for a long time. A uh, lot of stuff going on in the NBA, though, and I wanted to get your take because you kind of have ties to Milwaukee. I want to talk about Giannis really quick. Um, and he's going to be talked about for the next season until he signs a contract. Drew and I talk about it every week with whatever guests we have on or between us. And the money is just so wild. Like Supermax money is so crazy and so hard to turn down. What do you think is his best? What do you think Giannis should do? Well, I mean, it's the, obviously I'm biased. You know, my, my dad was a big, big part of bringing him to Milwaukee and, he, and my dad's still on staff. There's director of player personnel. So I mean, I certainly want him staying in Milwaukee um, and, and I think he will. I mean, just, you know, knowing Giannis, uh, he's wired different than a lot of these star guys are. I mean, he's got a different background than, than a lot of these guys. And, um, you know, he's not, not a flashy guy. I mean, he's pretty conservative with his lifestyle. And uh, from my understanding, he really likes Milwaukee. His wife likes Milwaukee. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and I think he's got everything he needs there. I mean, they just built a brand new, you know, building, uh, practice facilities. I mean, it, it's uh, his day-to-day is, is pretty solid. It doesn't get much better. I mean, obviously you're dealing with the Milwaukee winners. But outside of that, from a basketball standpoint, I mean, it's perfect. I mean, they've got, they've got very, you know, wealthy owners that are willing to spend – uh, great facilities, and they, they've got a good team. I mean, granted, they haven't done well in the playoffs the last couple of years. They've been, you know, one of the best teams in the, in the league record-wise. And so, um, you know, the way I kind of look at it is, you know, it took Jordan a little little while to get over the hump in Chicago. I mean, people forget he didn't get to his first finals until I think he was 28. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, Giannis has still got a few years, you know, if you're comparing his career to Jordan's. And, uh, I mean, really, they're, they're, you know, he's ahead of where Jordan was as far as what he's accomplished with the Bucks. because they've won a ton of games. Uh, I, I do think they need a couple more pieces and round out the roster a little bit more. But, um, you know, if you're looking at this, you know, big picture, I think they're on the right track. It's just got to be a little patient here before you, you know, start raking in the, the championships. It doesn't have to happen overnight. I think they need a point guard. Drew and I both think that they need a playmaking point guard like my Clippers, I think, need a playmaking point guard. Uh, but I don't think it's Chris Paul. I don't think you take on that con- as, as great as it would be to have Chris Paul on your, on your team. That contract is just a little too much. But what do you think – Obviously, they're going to be proactive and try to get Giannis the players he needs. But the the core of Middleton and and Giannis, what what do you think they need as far as a, a certain player? No, I agree with you. I mean, you know, Bledsoe's done a really good job, and he's great at what he does. I mean, defensively, you know, he's he's a problem, and 
you know, in, in transition, I mean, he's able to create quite a bit. He's not really a floor general, you know, primary point guard, in my opinion. He's more of just a, an athlete, aggressive guy. Um, I mean, I, I'd love to see them get Malachi Flynn. Uh, obviously, I know I'm a broken record at this point, but he, he's the <laughs> one guy in this draft that, like, I'm willing to put my neck on the line. And I'm telling anybody that listens to me, like, hey, everybody's sleeping on Malachi Flynn. I mean, I, my, my cousin was calling me this morning. He was with Philly. I'm like, I told them the same thing. I was like, tell your guys they need <laughs> Malachi Flynn. So I'm telling my dad that. I'm telling my cousin that. And, wow. you know, other, other people are calling me. It's like, hey, Flynn's the guy. Well, he might still – I mean, he might be there. I mean, they, they, right now they're, they're drafting 24th in that first round. So there's a, there's a good chance that – if, if people don't listen to you and they try and draft somebody else, uh, he, he might actually fall to that spot. That would, I think that would be a great fit. I, I, I live in San Diego, and this season was an unbelievable season for San Diego State and Malachi. He had, I, feel, I just feel bad. I feel bad for San Diego State, uh, for him, and for Dayton, too. I mean, those two teams were like, you know, one of these – it's just those generational things where it's like, okay, this is the first team we've had in several decades that's going to actually do something. Uh, but I'm on I'm on track with you as well. I think that guy is so talented. I think uh, he, he reminds me a lot of like what friend, Fred Van Vliet brings to the brings to the table. Um, you know, prior you were talking, you have ties to Philadelphia, and today uh, Daryl Morey, who was supposed to take a like, going to have this gap year, is not going to have a gap year. He's about to sign a five year deal with Philly. I think is a huge move for them. Great. They got a brand new coach. They got two superstars and they're going to bring in Daryl Morey. What, what do you think about that situation? What do you, do you think that's a great move for Philly? I mean, I'm interested to see how, you know, how the decision-making protocols are set in place. You know, obviously you got, you got Doc Rivers. That's, that's really old school. I mean, you know, you're a Clippers guy, you know, how his style is. And uh, I mean, he's, he's very, you know, falls in, in, in the category of being a traditional basketball guy, uh, which is generally where I fall to. I mean, I, you know, even though I'm a relatively young guy, you know, I was, I was, trained by my, my dad and uncles who've been working in the NBA since the late seventies. And so uh, I'm definitely fall a little bit more on the traditional, traditional side of things. And then you got Daryl Morey, who's really kind of revolutionized analytics within basketball. And so you got, uh, you got two guys on, on two different ends of the spectrum. I'm, I'm interesting to see how, how they coexist. Uh, I mean, obviously both are, are super experienced and professional guys. I mean, if they could, you know, kind of find a happy medium uh, and meet somewhere in the middle, I mean, it could, you know, theoretically it could work great. I think it's a night and day difference for Daryl, right? Walking into a situation where that you can't, you can, you can count uh, the, the three point shooters on one finger, right? Uh, and, <laughs> and then from leaving the situation where everyone was shooting threes. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like how is that going to meld and mesh and turn into something cohesive on the floor, uh, including with all the authoritarian figures that are in there as well. I, I think it's, it's going to be very interesting. And I think, something that I talked about when he stepped down was that like, he can do whatever he wants. Like, I think this is not surprising to me that Philly is making this, this move to bring him on. He's so talented and, and the cutting edge aspect of what he brings to basketball is unlike anyone else. Uh, but I do think, you know, it's a, it's a completely different, it's a whole different thing for him to be doing. I, I'm, I'm so curious how he's going to turn these analytics that he used so well in Houston to ramp up what they're doing and, and see if he can shift that in a way to, you know, keep Joel Embiid on the floor. Ben Simmons doing what he's doing. Uh, that I think all that's going to be really fun. Yeah, I agree. And I think some interesting parts of it is, you know, Sam Hankey was a disciple of Daryl Morey. And so we're kind of going back to where they were. And, you know, Joel Embiid's a, a Sam Hankey guy. And so, I mean, I, I would imagine, um, that, you know, Joel's probably pretty excited about that. You know, it's sort of like a, you know, extension of, of the guy that brought him there is, is now kind of taken over. Um, you know, but they're, they're, I mean, the first thing is their roster 
doesn't fit Daryl's style at all. I mean, you got Al Horford there, which, you know, there's already, already been all kinds of rumors of, you know, kind of dumping that contract. Um, you know, that, that would be interesting to see what they do there. Um, you know, do they play Ben Simmons as a point guard? You know, that's another question. I mean, they, you know, the first several years they played Ben and, and, and you know, titled him and categorized him as a quote-unquote point guard. Uh, the second part of this year, they took him off the ball a little bit and had him be more of a point forward. And, and I thought he did a lot better and did really well. Um, that, that's what I would prefer to, you know, how to use Ben. You can see what they do there. I mean, and then they've got, I believe they've got five draft picks. And so, you know, this uh, decision-making protocols, I mean, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how this next month goes with them. I mean, you know, you got Doc, Elton, and, and, and you know, and, uh, and Daryl in there. And I'm, uh, I'm curious. I'm, I'm going to pull a bag of popcorn and watch A lot this. of alphas, right? That's a lot of alphas over there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we got to talk Clipper basketball, too. Can't have a podcast without Clippers, and I I want your opinion on some things. Obviously, Doc Doc is out, which I was shocked. Were you Were you a little shocked that we got rid of him? Yeah, I was. I mean, they they had a great year, and obviously, I mean, you know, there, there's so much uh, so much put in what what happens in the playoffs, and you know, I, I don't really know any, any insider stuff on that, but I mean, I was definitely surprised that that he was gone. And then do you think Ty – I mean, I thought Ty was the perfect fit, the only choice for us. I know we interviewed a lot of people, but – and he's bringing in some pretty good uh, uh, assistant coaches as well. But the Ty move was the right move, correct? Oh, yeah, I think that's, that makes sense. And, um, you know, and it's, you know, we've talked about this on, on some of the, the, the shows that Alex put together, but you know, I'm big on continuity and, and letting guys learn to play together and, and figure things out. And, I mean, they essentially just put this team together last year. And so, I mean, and, and you guys had a good year. You guys won a lot of games in the regular season. Uh, I think being overly critical on what happened in the bubble is hard. I mean, it was such a, such a weird setup and all that. And I mean, no discredit to the Lakers because it's just, I mean, I think it took a lot of mental toughness to get through it. Uh, but, I mean, being overly critical on the Clippers or the Bucks or the Sixers, it was such a screwy, you know, unprecedented process, you know. And so um, I, I don't think they, you know, from a personnel standpoint, they should do anything too dramatic. I mean, you got – with Paul George and Kawhi alone, I mean, you got two of the best players in the league, similar to what I was saying with Joel and, and Ben. Right. Just figure out how to use them. I mean, use another year of creating some continuity. I think Ty staying there, you know, having already been there, allows them to kind of make a step forward rather than having to take a step back and take two steps forward. And so I think you need to kind of just tweak it a little bit rather than, you know, reshape the whole, the whole thing. So I know that the Clippers don't have a draft pick for the next like 17 seasons. Um, is there, is there maybe some like undrafted players that, that you might have some, I know that you're doing so much work on the, on the 60 guys that are going to be drafted. There's some players that might fall out of the draft that the Clippers might be able to pick up and add to their roster that that could make sense for them. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of depth, you know, in this year's draft. I mean, as far as guys that are, you know, considered solid second-round picks or undrafted, uh, you really just got to wait and see who's there. I mean, every single year uh, there ends up being guys that you would have expected to be second-round picks that go undrafted. I mean, I, I dealt with it a number of times as an agent, and you know, we'd have guys that we thought could, you know, be you know, drafted in the 30s that go undrafted, you know. And so it's just – it gets be – especially in the second round, it gets to be very unpredictable because everybody's got different agendas, uh, whether it's like financial constraints or – you know, they want to take draft and stash guys, um, guys do slip. And so, I mean, you know, depending on what their big board is and how they value guys, just got to see what's there. And then switching over to the Lakers, we, we do have a first round pick this year, which is nice. Right now um, in your most recent mock draft, you have Tyrese Maxey uh, in the 28th spot for the Lakers. Uh, do you see that actually being like a really good fit for the Lakers? Or is there maybe somebody that, you know, could fall to that position that you think they should look at more heavily? 
Yeah, no, it, you know, Maxie's one of those guys, I mentioned it a little bit before, uh, you know, I, I've been lower on him than, than the rest of the media has pretty much all year. Um, you know, but it, it's not one of these deals where I dislike him. I just, I see him a little bit differently. I don't see him being a point guard, uh, but he, he is a character kid, you know, brings a lot of winning type attributes to the game, good defender, just sort of a, you know, gutsy kid. Uh, I think he would fit well in LA, especially at that point in the draft. Because, uh, you know, they, they do play, you know, positionless basketball. I mean, with LeBron, it allows you to do whatever you want because LeBron can essentially play all five positions. He's a point guard. He's a center. He, he's whatever you want him to be. And so, you know, having a guy like Tyrese that does have some limitations, um, I think playing with some guys that are versatile kind of offset that a little bit. And so, yeah, I think at that stage in the draft, he would be a great addition. So I was thinking about this this morning while I was eating breakfast. And I was like, I was thinking about your family. Like, you come from this – basketball family right and I'm thinking like what would Thanksgiving be like at the Babcock house like just talking basketball right it's probably always talking basketball mom talking basketball everybody was there anything that you and your cousins and your dad and your uncles did not agree on that you would constantly fight about basketball wise or did you normally see uh, the same vision the same things yeah, I mean, we're all certainly cut from the same cloth in terms of basketball. I, there's nothing that really jumps out of, like, any kind of, like, major philosophical difference or anything like that. Uh, I mean, we would – you know, I remember being a kid and going, going to, uh, like, shadowing them and going to games. They're, they're all scouting. That, that was pretty interesting. And you're absolutely right. Like, our, our Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, dinners and all that, I mean, we talked a lot of hoops. And, uh, you know, me and my two cousins, my, my cousin Chris, who's uh, director of player development for the Sixers, He's one year younger than me, and then uh, his younger brother, Nate, who's a year younger, uh, is on the coaching staff in Atlanta. I mean, it's, it's no surprise to anybody that we're working in basketball. I mean, we, I remember being, you know, six, seven, eight years old, and we have, you know, our simulated meetings where we'd go through the league and, you know, figure out who they should draft and trade and all the stuff that we're talking about. I've been doing this my whole life, you know, and um, that's been like a big benefit of growing up in, in a basketball family because it's just – I had such a head start of uh, getting exposure to what my dad and my uncles were doing. Uh, but also, you know, ha- you know, envisioning having a life in basketball. I mean, we've been preparing for this our whole lives. Well, you know, I actually have an interesting story. I mean, just in, in, in regards to the Clippers, my uncle Pete, he's my oldest uncle. He was the first one to start working in the NBA in our family. And uh, his first, like his big breakthrough job, he did a lot of volunteer scouting. Uh, I think uh, the New Orleans Jazz hired him as a volunteer scout where he's just doing pro personnel, uh, advanced scouting out of Phoenix. And then, his, uh, then he started doing some regional scouting for the Lakers. Bill Burke hired him. Mm-hmm. And then his first breakthrough job was uh, – so my family's really close to Paul Westfall. And Paul Westfall uh, introduced my uncle to Paul Silas, and he hired him as an assistant coach to the San Diego Clippers. It was like 81 or 82 or something like that. And uh, Bill Walton was on the team. And it ended up being his, – his job ended up evolving from being an assistant coach to where he was named director, assistant coach and director of player personnel, where essentially he was the general manager. He ran the draft. And so this is, you know, shows you how different everything's changed as far as how the teams or the front offices are structured and all that. So he was an assistant coach, uh, was their lead scout, ran the draft. And so he'd be on the road with the team, would leave to go scout. And then he'd do draft night and whatnot. And um, they had some great drafts, too. They drafted Tom Chambers, Byron Scott. And then when, uh, when Sterling illegally moved the team to, to, to L.A., mm-hmm. my uncle's like, I got to get out of here. That's when he went to the Nuggets. But he's like, I had enough, enough of Sterling's crap. He made a great move. That was a right. great yeah. move for him to do. But, you know, and one thing a lot, a lot of people don't know is uh, Arn Tellum was Sterling's legal counsel for the Clippers back then. And that's how I got working in the basketball is Arn Tellum hired me as a summer intern at Wasserman Media Group. And it was all from a family relation from back in the early 80s. Well, wow. he, at one point, he was the, the, the hottest thing popping. Arntellum had everybody, didn't he? 
Oh, yeah. No, he was the biggest agent in basketball and baseball, which, I mean, blows my mind that you're able to do it on a high level in two sports. I mean, right? just doing one sport was, was enough for me. <laughs> hey, Matt, I know your time is very valuable, and our listeners are going to totally love this show. You, I, I, honestly, out of all the interviews I've done and Drew's done, I had to prepare for this harder than anything because I know you know your stuff. I told Drew two days ago, I said, bro, we got to be on top of this because this man knows everything. So <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. I love what you're doing at basketballnews.com, you know, your columns and obviously uh, Babcock hoops blowing up. Do you want to plug anything right now? No, I think you just did. I mean, Babcock hoops, basketball news. Uh, I'm doing some stuff for CBS Sports HQ. So, yeah, just a bunch of draft coverage. And, uh, yeah, I just got to say, I'm a, I'm a lot happier doing what I'm doing now than, than being an agent. So just, just having fun with it. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, hopefully we can have you on again when uh, Malachi goes number one because Babcock <laughs> said so. Okay? Right, right. There we go. <laughs> sounds, sounds good to me. Hey, we appreciate you, Matt. Thank you very much. Your gift cards are on the way, too. I got some first watch gift cards coming for you. No, I'm looking forward. I told my wife about it. We're, we, got, we got it on the books. <laughs> awesome, man. You have a great day, man. Thank you very much. Thanks yeah. a lot, Matt. Sure. All right, so that was an awesome interview by Matt Babcock. It's great to have him on the show. It's pretty awesome to, you know, have somebody on that's such an expert, you know. And I know I was a little nervous. I said I was. But, dang, he is so prepared, man. It, it, it shows you, like, the elite level of NBA analysts and scouts, right? Yeah, the attention to detail that these guys have to go through and just the hours, the man hours that they have to log to come up with either, you know, either go visit in person and watch the guy play or go through just hours of tape and film and workouts and fucking interviews. Like it is, it is, uh, I get it. I get why it's, it's its own job, right? Like, you know, I think before scouts and, and guys like Matt were probably doing a lot of other things. And now in today's day and age, especially with the youth game being as prolific as it is for young players, like, I'm sure Matt has the draft, like a mock draft for 2027. Like, you know how good he is at this. It's insane. Um, so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And it's crazy bringing up a player that is going to go mid-second round and he knows everything about him, you know, his strengths and his weaknesses. You know what I mean? It's just wild and it's so inspiring. And it, it just goes to show you that, like, watching film is not enough. Like, you have to talk and, and pound the pavement and talk to parents and teachers and – you know, restaurant owners, does he tip? What kind of person is he? You know what I mean? So right. we thought it'd be fun for everybody that we're going to do our mock draft. We're going to flip for who gets number one, correct, Drew? Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to just, we're going to take it. Lottery, one through 14. Uh, you ready to go? Yeah, yeah. After the, the conversation with Matt, I feel like I have a good, <laughs> a good grasp on, on who I think should go where. So let's I, do this. Malachi? Malachi number one? <laughs> Obviously, that has to be the number one overall pick after, after Matt's raving reviews. All right, so I'm flipping a coin. I'm going to let you call you it, call Drew. It? Heads or tails while okay. I flip in the air, okay? And, yep, uh, done. Tails. Heads it is. Do you want the number one pick or do you want the, to go second? I want to go number one. Okay, go ahead. Let's do it. All right, so. Number one, and just to frame this. We're drafting in order as the, as the draft is set right now. So number one, Clips is drafting for Minnesota. You're on the clock. Number one pick in the 2020-2021 draft will be Obi Toppin. Dayton. Oh, I love that. That's I my love number, that. That's my number one pick. I mean, you don't, you don't need a big, 
right? You need somebody that's going to run the floor. 6'9", 220, can shoot threes, stretches the floor, kind of a little bit of a defensive liability. But for a 6'9", big man, shot 42% from threes. If anything, they don't need a guard. They need somebody that's going to help Carl Anthony Towns on the boards. And he's a, he's a rim runner. If D'Lo can, and him can start to vibe out, he loves to catch the alley-oop. I think Obi is the one to go as far as Minnesota goes. I got to tell you this. I was going to draft him number one as well. Really? Like, for, yeah, absolutely. Without okay. a doubt. I think he's a great fit for Minnesota for what they need. I think he's probably the second most athletic or maybe third most athletic player in this draft. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Number two, I, I actually kind of was hoping you were going to go Wiseman because I wanted Obi to go either one or two for, for this. So now number two, Golden State. You know, I think it's, it, it probably makes a lot of sense for James Wiseman to go here. Um, even though I think Golden State may take a really hard look at uh, Okongwu, Big O, as Matt affectionately calls him. Uh, I think Okongwu could be actually a better fit for, for Golden State, but I do think best available. I'm going to go James Wiseman. It makes a lot of sense. They need a big. It's a smart pick. I had him at two as well. Um, three, I'm on the board. I'm on the board right now for Charlotte. Yeah, it's Charlotte Hornets. So the, the Hornets are, are kind of guard-heavy. Malik Monk, Devontae Graham coming off a good season, and then Rozier, who kind of hasn't been, you know, living up to the contract he got, even though I like Rozier. I think they might try to make a moves, but I think the best player at this position, and he could potentially go number one too, but Anthony Edwards uh, out of Georgia for sure. Uh, like Matt was talking about, and like we said, he's kind of, you know, very Donovan Mitchell-esque. It'd be hard to pass him up at three. His shot selection is a little rough, and I think if you get D'Lo and him taking bad shots in a game, it could be – or not D'Lo, excuse me, uh, Devontae and him taking bad shots in a game, it could go south. But I think he has the most upside, and I think he'd be, I think he'd be a really good fit in Charlotte. Yeah, I agree. I think they definitely still need a big man as well. But I, if he falls to three and Charlotte's just sitting there, like, and Wiseman's off the board, uh, I think you have to take him. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so that means I'm four with the Chicago Bulls pick. This is LaMelo Ball for me. This is, this is, a, this is, this is a LaMelo Ball pick. Um, I think, you know, especially with how young they are, they don't necessarily have their point guard of the future. And, and you know, I think, you know, taking a risk at four for LaMelo, again, if he falls to there, I think that's a, probably a pretty solid fit. So I got LaMelo Ball at four for Chicago. That throws that see that throws my rent that throws a wrench in uh, in my game plan here. So four <laughs> Chicago, five would be Cleveland. Then then I think the Big O's got to go. I think the Big O's got to go to Cleveland. We don't know what's going to happen with Drummond's contract. They're going to need some bigs down there to battle. And obviously they're in a rebuilding situation there. They have you know a couple decent pieces. I think it'd be a really great place for him to thrive. I'm sure he would rather be going to Chicago than to Cleveland. But I think if you're, if you're Cleveland at five, you have to go big O. I, I also think that, that uh, Avdia could be a good fit for them as well because they do still have Drummond and they do still have Tristan. Well, I had um, him. You threw, me, you threw me off. That's where I had Denny going was, shy, was the shy. But then – Chicago. Well, they, they have marketing. They have, if they have anything, it's like they have a decent core of wings, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have some bigs as well. I mean, they have uh, uh, Carter. Wendell. Uh, yeah, and they have some others. So I think – so now I'm six. I'm Atlanta. I'm, I'm probably not going to go with Avdia here because they have Kevin Herter. They have Collins. I don't think that I'm going to go with Avdia 
there. Mm. Six, I'm going Killian Hayes. I'm going Killian Hayes to play off Trey Young and, and then Herter. You got Herter at the small forward. You got Collins. You got Capella. Killian Hayes, six, Atlanta Hawks. See, you're just throwing – I'm just going to call you the wrench man right now. Because <laughs> I had I had LaMelo going to Atlanta at six, right? Trey and LaMelo backcourt. Oh, you had him dropping. Yes, big time. You had him dropping all the way. I could – I could. he could have gone 10th too. But I thought Atlanta yeah. would be – Atlanta can deal with the ball family. I thought that would be a really good backcourt. Um, uh, so, the, the no defense backcourt. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> just put up shots. So seven. So now it's seven. Yeah. Pistons and I had Killian Hayes. I thought that's exactly what they need is a point guard. And um, you know, losing Reggie Jackson and and uh, you know Derrick Rose is probably going to be out of there most likely. Having a good combo guard like Killian to come in would be kind of perfect for them. But now I'm thrown off, and I need a guard because that's what I wanted. Shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go uh, Halliburton. That's what I'm gonna have to do for the Pistons. Okay. Tyrese. God, that's tough. 6'5", 185. He's kind of small out of Iowa State. He's got really good court vision. He's never shot less than 50% from the field or 40 from the three. He can pass the rock. Four to one assist to, to turnover ratio. That's the best guard available. So that's where I'm going to go. I mean, hopefully Blake has a good comeback year. If they don't dish him, maybe they can vibe out a little bit and create some chemistry. But that's where I'm going to have to go is right there, Tyrese. All right, so now I'm on the clock. This is a uh, tough eight, one. Eight. You got you got the tough one with the Knicks. Yeah. I mean, the Knicks love a power forward, so I'm, I, I have Diaz going to the Knicks in my mind. Like, why wouldn't they add another power forward? Right? This guy brings some some different playmaking abilities. Um, who knows who's still going to be on the roster by the time it's all said and done? Uh, but I think with him, you can have him and RJ kind of play the the small forward. You can move Avdia to the power forward position, and you can still. You can kind of small ball if Julius Randle stays there at the center. I, I'm liking this pick, actually, for the Knicks. I think if FD is there, if he drops all the way to eight, I don't see why they would pass on him. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going Denny Evdia of Maccabi Tel Aviv and you to know, the New York Knicks. Knicks love a foreigner, too. I mean, They, they do. do. They hate him initially. They hate <laughs> drafting foreigners, the fans. But then, you know, come the season start, they're ready to go. I thought with what the Knicks, the last thing the Knicks need is another forward, right? And so the, I, I thought they need a somebody that can hit shots and knock down threes and whatever. And I agree know, with that. I'm not trying to say that they don't need that, right. but I think based on <laughs> based on previous years, and again, I think also best available player, right? In this particular instance, I don't necessarily think FD is going to fall this far in, in the real draft, but that's who I would that's who I would plug and play at, at eight for the Knicks at this point. All right, then if if Denny. So nine is Washington, and mm-hmm. we kind of never know what we're going to get from them. You, and, again, you've thrown me off because I, I had this guy going to New York. But, okay, so Washington, we have a healthy John Wall coming back, Beal coming off his best season. The thing that they don't know that they're going to have is Bertrands, right, stretching the floor. They're another team that's going to need scoring, if anything. So the best shooter in the draft, like Babcock said, is Aaron Naismith from Vandy, 6'6", 215. Um, I think that would be a good fit for him. He's another, I don't know, Beal kind of guy, but I, I, I would, if they're going to lose Bertrand's threes, you need somebody that's going to be in there to, to knock some down. So I'm going with, uh, Naismith out of Vandy. I like that. I think I like that pick a lot. Um, 
I think, you know, so now we're, we're 10 and it's the Phoenix Suns on the clock. Uh, one thing they need is more defense. And I think Isaac Okoro from Auburn. We agree on uh, that. Yeah, I think that's a solid fit for them. I mean, I know that they just got uh, Bridges, uh, Mikel Bridges, who's kind of a 3 and D guy. But I think Okoro actually brings a little bit more defensive toughness. Um, and who knows what's going to happen with Ubre and, and all that stuff. The guy's constantly injured. Plus, they can go small with that lineup. That, and, and you don't necessarily need another big. Uh, with Aiton being there. I think they still have Baines. He actually might be a free agent, but uh, I like Okoro. I think he's a solid pick for the Suns at 10. That's what me, I have him too at 10. And, it, you know, he is, he's 6'6", 215, strong, super athlete, and loves to play defense. And if anything, they could use another – I mean, every team could use a defender, but I take – I think that's a really good, solid pick. Um, San Antonio, who's 11, is uh, – it's tough because we know they like to find the diamonds in the rough, right? They, they love DeJounte Murray at the point. I had, I had Halliburton going there, but he dropped. Yeah. Well, they have Derek white too. Right. They have, they got, they got a couple decent guards running around there. Right. So then I think the, the right pick would be Patrick Williams from Florida state, six, eight, two He's the youngest player in the draft. Another freakish athlete floor spacer can, you know, is a lob threat. He's extremely aggressive. I think you fit, fine in the in the in the Spurs system I think he's the best player available right now for that position yeah he's not that bad from um, a shooting perspective as well as far as I know like he's he's a decent shooter as well so that's a good that's a good pick he can play off of uh, LaMarcus and you know Rudy Gay is just getting so old so uh, that's I think that's a solid pick it's his it's his 32nd year in the NBA yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) Uh, all right, so then I am drafting 12th for the Kings. I think, you know, for the Kings, they're probably going to lose Buddy Heel. They're probably going to keep Bogdanovich. So they got to bring in somebody maybe t- to take Bogdanovich's bench role. And Devin Vassell, to me, is the best player left on this draft. So he's also a good shooter, you know, wing guard slash small forward. I'm going to go Devin Vassell out of Florida State for the Kings at 12. He, that's, a, that's a good pick. Uh, again, he loves to play defense. Cookies, uh, that's one of the notes I have for Vassal, just cookies. He loves to rip. But um, little, so he needs to get bigger as far as stronger. He's a little, like I, a, a couple different scout sites had him at 180, and then somebody had him at 194. Either way, if you can get him to like the 205, you know, he, he'd be a good pick for them. I like that pick, Drew. So 13 is the Pelicans. It, it depends if Drew, they, you got Drew and Lonzo in the backcourt, but we don't know if they're going to have Drew. So I think the best point guard at this right now is uh, Kira Lewis Jr. out of Bama. They might need to pick up another point guard. I mean, if Drew leaves, you're going to need another point guard. So I think it's – I think that's solid. Yeah, safe pick, right? I think it's solid right there. I think he's – I think he brings some defense too, right? So, like, if you lose the defensive aspects of Drew, Lonzo's a pretty good defensive player. That could be a pretty stout uh, defensive backcourt. Obviously, of course, you would probably start J.J., um, at the two, um, if that happens, but I like that pick, even if Drew stays, I mean, who knows if that guy's going to stay in free agency when it comes up in a year or two, I don't know when he's a free agent, but I like that pick. I think, I think Lewis is probably, that's actually where I think Babcock has him going as well. So I think that's a, that's a really solid pick. Does he at 13? Yeah. His mock draft has him at 13. He does. All right. So now I'm 14. This is the last pick Drew. This is the lottery. And this is a fun one for me because the Celtics, 
Uh, I, you know, I, you know, I listen to Bill Simmons and some of these other Celtics guys because I love to hate on the Celtics. And every time they've talked about what the Celtics need, especially Simmons, it was like we needed Tyler Hero this year. If we had Tyler Hero on our team, I don't think this guy is Tyler Hero, but I do think this guy has potential. And I'm going to go R.J. Hampton because he's 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 kind of a, he's a, a tweener guard. He's not necessarily a point guard, uh, but can be potentially an explosive uh, score. If I'm looking at the rest of this, it's either, you know, it's either that, or as we get down further, maybe Cassius Stanley, uh, they could reach for him. But I, again, as I'm looking at this list, I think that's the best fit for, for the Celtics. So I'm going RJ Hampton to, to finish, the Celtics at 14. To, to finish off the lottery. Yep. See, I had, I had Maxi going 14. I thought he would be the better fit. I know you're high on Cassius and I love that question. Uh, you had for Matt because, and, and it was in my notes too. I wanted to talk about Cassius and Cole Anthony, and it was really good to get his point of view on that. I think Cassius is a, is a huge talent. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes, but that's a, that's a really good pick, Drew. I'm actually kind of fine with how this all went. I was really excited to do my LaMelo, my LaMelo at six though. That's what I was really excited for. Well, this is fun because, you know, just in the, in the 10 minutes that it took us to do this, you can see like what it's like in real time for GMs and, and front offices as they're going through, they have their big board. I mean, I can only imagine uh, if you're sitting at six, right? Like, like the Hawks and you're like, fuck dude, let this guy fall, let him fall to us. And if that guy's taken right before, like if, if the fifth pick takes your number one guy, you're just like, fuck. Yeah. God damn it. But of course they always have contingencies and they have this long list of guys. So, but that, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I'm good with that. That was a really, really good uh, podcast, dude. I'm, I'm happy with all of that. Something that I've, I've been talking to you about, I've been watching a lot of Amazon prime, right? My new show <laughs> is sneaky Pete, right? This is a badass show. I love it. This song is from sneaky Pete. It's John Lee hooker. It serves you right to suffer. If you don't, Bob your head, smack your knee. You have absolutely no soul whatsoever. So turn it up, bang it. This is the follow through with Clips and Drew, the mock draft, and we're ghosts. right to suffer. Serve your right to feel home. Serve your right to suffer. Serve your right to feel Cause you're still living in the day gone back and gone. Serve your right to suffer. Serve your right to feel home. Serve your right to suffer. Serve your right to feel home. That's why, that's why, that's why.
That way, in the past, that day is gone. 